Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. I think it's more just about joy, and, and I want to say um, shared joy of um, being part of this sangha and getting to know all of you and sharing the Dharma with all of you year after year, knowing that there's a community that's interested in practice in the Dharma and that we're together in it, that's a true joy for me. I, I, it's the greatest joy. It really is. Um, so um, for several years here in Long Beach, I've given this talk more or less. And I would always start with this quote from the Sixth Zen Patriarch um, that I love. And um, I love this quote, so I'll read it to you. And it goes like this. Good friends, my teaching of the Dharma takes awareness and kindness as its basis. Never say mistakenly that awareness and kindness are different. They are unity, not two things. Awareness itself is the substance of kindness. Kindness itself is the function of awareness. At the very moment there is awareness, pure awareness, then kindness exists. So I used to read this. I, I, I truly love this quote. It's a beautiful quote. And um, I would expect that everybody else that I was giving the talk to would agree with me. This is a beautiful quote. Wow, that's great. Can I write that down? Where did you get that? You know, like people do when something lands in a talk, everybody comes up and says, can you say that again? Can I write? And nobody does, ever. And, and I always say, isn't that a great quote? And the room is flat. Like, you can just feel that people do not agree. And I've always wondered, why? 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 Why doesn't this quote land? And I realize that when we're in deep meditation on a retreat, um, in the woods somewhere, having a great sit, and the mind and gets concentrated and it's not running around thinking right and moving the heart rises up and this sweetness comes through and then yes your mindfulness your awareness meets your heart and there's natural kindness I've experienced this so many times over the years my ashram life my Zen life the uh, meditation sits where you're sitting all day and the mind gets still and you open your eyes and look out at everybody at the room and everybody looks so beautiful. You, know, you just fall in love with everyone and everything. It's just this beautiful state of love because a still mind and a concentrated mind gives the heart room to open. That's why I love the quote, right? But come to everyday life, right? 
where we're um, not meditating in a beautiful zendo or ashram or meditation center. Um, we're not spending the day sitting and walking and having our practice supported by teachers and the environment. And you're in your life filled with challenges, right? Filled with drives and ego and I need, I want, I got to get it done. This is filled with fear and anxiety, filled with trying to cope day to day, which is not easy. Not an easy life. We have a privileged life. But we have a challenging life. The job, the kids, the house, the mortgage, the relationships, right? Everybody's got something. You got either too much or not enough of, right? Or it's going to be taken away or you want more, or it's not good enough, or she has more than you, right? It's suffering. That's what the Buddha taught. There's suffering in it. So what is stopping kindness and awareness merging? So that the heart is open and there's loving kindness naturally, compassion naturally. The Buddha talked about that. It's this thing called the hindrances. The little things that we're born with that are part of our egoic defensive structure that block and get in the way of ease, calm, openness sweetness, all the beautiful, yummy stuff, right? Um, the exquisite pieces of the um, Brahma Baharas, of, of this, this joy, right? Ecstasy, all, right? all that stuff. There's um, a structure that we're born with that gets in the way, that blocks it. So I think that's why when I read this quote, it does not land. Right? We would have to have been meditating for about a week, <laughs> you know, or more, um, a month, before, some, before this mind really unhooks. So let's talk about what the hindrances are and then how they get in the way. Um, and you had the hindrances visited you. They're, like I said, there are like these um, little grim, gremlins that kind of creep in when you close your eyes. They're just there. Um, and they visit you in meditation all the time. Um, anybody have a desire or craving to have a better sit than the one you had? <laughs> Raise your hand. <laughs> Me, right? We all did. I want more. I want a better sit. I think I wanted a better room today, you know? Um, I wanted um, a peaceful, quiet zendo instead of this room. It's desire. It's craving. I want something better than what's here now. Um, some of you might have had some desire to have a body less achy. Right? I want a different body sitting. Yeah. And then there's um, ill will. And again, these were born with, they are natural states that all human beings, all minds have. Um, just wanting to reject. Uh, it could be hostility, resentment, hatred, bitterness, but it could just be, um, it could just be, I don't want to be here. I want to be somewhere else, right? And some of you might have had that too, like, why didn't I sleep in? <laughs> why didn't I go to brunch? 
the walk on the ocean would have been a lot better than this, right? I want to be somewhere else, not happy with what's now. Um, sloth and torpor. I know some of you had that sleepy, sleepy, foggy, going in and out, dullness of mind. Um, some of us were restless and worried. We had our to-do list. We have our problem list that we were reviewing and filing up. And then there was doubt, like, like, why should I bother sitting? My mind can't land on anything, right? What am I even trying for? <laughs> what is this thing called Buddhism mindfulness? You know, let's just go shopping. <laughs> <laughs> so this comes on the cushion, but it comes in life, and it blocks this ability to go deeper into the heart, into our true nature, into beingness, into presence, into peace and calm, into joy. They visit and block us, right? And the ego gets held together, our defensive structure. And I'll tell you a story about this. I love this story. I hope you love this story. Um, so my friend, um, I have an old friend uh, from many, many years ago who now lives in New Jersey. And um, when she turned a certain age, she decided she was going to um, find a really tough therapist, a strong therapist, right? And the top therapist in New Jersey. You know, right? I'm going to find the best therapist. And uh, she saved up her money. She went into his office, and he was known to tell it like it is kind of therapist, and that's what she wanted. And um, she said to him, um, look, I'm ready for a breakthrough. I want to give up my destructive pattern, all my habits of mind, my false ego, the ways I'm defensive, the ways I block caring and love, the ways I sabotage intimacy, mm -hmm. the things that I run from, right? My unworthiness, how I don't want to take in the good sometimes and receive, right? Why I'm not going for that dream. You know, she'd get her list. Very common list. We all have them, right? <laughs> uh -huh. How I tune out or I disassociate because something really hit something scary or vulnerable. And so let's make a deal. <clears throat> You go for it, and I'll go for it with you, and let's break through this year. And I remember her telling me this, and I was just sitting there going, okay, let's see what happens, right? <laughs> well, he took her seriously, and they started to work at a very deep level, going after these deep defenses and all these habit patterns and childhood stuff that stayed with her and all the things that get in the way of this magnificence. Right? You all relate to that somehow. And um, he got closer and closer into this vulnerable place. And um, she said to me one day, she said, you know how we, we talk about the hindrances on the cushion? She goes, they go into the therapy room, too. Like, they're everywhere. Like, all five of them were in my session today, and that session was not cheap. <laughs> And she said, uh, okay, so she said, um, ill will, I, I, he touched a button, and I just wanted to bite his head off. I wanted to snap at him, but at the same time, 
I had the desire to be the best patient, and I wanted him to love me and say, you're my best patient. I love working with you. Right? That came in. And then, um, you know, we got a little deeper into this, and all of a sudden, I got sleepy and foggy. Like, what? What? You know, I started thinking about something else. <laughs> you know, I wasn't in the room. And uh, then I just wanted the session to end. I just wanted to run out and, and go to Starbucks, you know, um, and do my shopping list. And at the end of all that, I even doubted why the heck did I start this in the first place, right? So, um, so in Buddhism, uh, there's a teacher, I think his name is Sayadaw Tanisha, he's written a book that you can get online for free. And it's something like this, make friends with the hindrances, because they will make friends with you, mm -hmm. right? So to do any real deep work on the path, we need to be able with mindfulness to see these tendencies that protect us. They're not necessarily negative, they're a form of protection that we've developed all our lives to cope with a world that's tough. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us have had many challenges from the moment we were born. That's how life is. There's a lot of suffering and challenge. And so to be mindful of these tendencies, to be mindful in the moment, to practice loving kindness or compassion, we need to make friends with those little crawly things, right, that we want to bury and not look at. So, um, at work, there's, they built a construction, there's an office building going up next door. I look out the window, I've been watching the building go up. And uh, it's been really fun to watch it. And I, I just noticing how this works. You go, you dig the foundation, you dig deep, and you get out all the dirt, right? And then you lay the foundation for a strong building. If you don't dig deep and get out the dirt, you ain't gonna get a strong building. You're out a lopsided building. Well, the spiritual path I noticed from my own experience is um, we don't like to dig down deep and get the dirt out. Right? We want to be at the penthouse. <laughs> That's how I was, right? Um, we don't want to get in there and look at it and pull it out. Because we're aversive, right? We don't want to use the mindfulness that way to build the strong foundation for practice. Um, for me, um, when I was my ashram life, I just wanted to be enlightened. I wanted to be at the penthouse, right? I, I just wanted to drop my ego and lose myself and merge with the ocean. You know, you are not a wave, you're the ocean, right? I just wanted to be the ocean. I didn't know, nobody told me, note to self, you've got to dig the dirt out and build a strong foundation for your practice. So what is that? It's mindfulness, we say, right? Being present in the moment, being willing to be here, and we practice together. But it's also kindness, it's compassion to the dirt, compassion to the hindrances, compassion to what you see. It's kindness. If you can't dig in that dirt, 
with love and kindness, you can't dig. And that's what we skip over, that kindness piece in our culture. Because we just want to build the building and get the penthouse. But, but you know, that's what we're missing. And that's why it's so hard. So to go back to my story of my friend in New Jersey, she said the shift for her was the day she walked in there and they hit something vulnerable that produced a lot of shame for her. Because you know there are things you do over and over and over again and they still feel so bad and you feel ashamed. You know, it's kind of normal. And she said the mindfulness came up to see it. And so did the caring and the compassion. That came up too. And as she could feel this love for herself, this being, the caring for this difficulty, you know, this tough stuff, that love could let her stay in the room with the therapist and be there and presence through it mm -hmm. and really see it in a different way. And that's where the miracle happens, right? That's where the growth happens. When you can kindly and lovingly Mindfulness and kindness work together. That produces wisdom. Mm -hmm. right? And the mind drops a little. The heart opens. It's, oh, of course. Of course. Right? So, so, the thing that I'm realizing is stay in the basement there. Stay at the foundation and learn to dig with self-compassion and compassion for others. That's the step, that's the beginning of building this thing called a path. And that's why um, I never realized, that's why we teach the hindrances. The minute you get into a beginner's meditation class, they teach it right away. The minute you go on a retreat, I think you've been on retreat for later, right? No, but I do Okay. They teach hindrances, they talk about that right away. It's start at the beginning and learn to turn with caring towards what's difficult. Mm -hmm. Why is it so hard? So let's talk about that. Or dance. We'll see. <laughs> um, well, first of all, it's hard because of... Um, this tendency of a negativity bias that we talk about in here all the time, that we're hardwired to notice what's negative three times more. I have some of the research here that I can try to read to you than to see what's positive, right? Um, so let's see if I could find that and read it to you. Um, this is from Elisha Goldstein's book. Um, Self-compassion, this caring, doesn't come naturally to us. And there's an evolutionary reason for this. The brain is wired to cling like Velcro to our negative voices and to act like Teflon when it comes to the positive ones. Um, and he says, think of our ancestors who lived in the wild, having to hunt and gather for survival. Uh, they would sit in a circle or alone, marveling at the wonders of the blades of grass and not keenly aware of the dangers around them. 
Um, but that likely didn't last long. The ones who are on guard and focused on any danger lurking around any corner survived. Our brains have been highly refined and sculpted to be aware of the dangers and negative possibilities of life in order to protect ourselves. Um, this is the foundation for what researchers call automatic negativity bias. And then he quotes a few more studies on this. But um, so what happens is um, we're not obviously walking around having to defend against wild animals and um, acts of war and things like this, right? We're generally safe. But um, when the mind is critical and negative towards us, when we haven't been perfect, right? We're trying hard, and then the critic comes in. Um, the brain perceives it as an attack, and um, the there's stress hormones. The cortisol is pumping, and we go into fight, flight, or freeze. Um, and this is a habit for a lot of us, and that is why it's hard to be kind, because we got the stress hormones pumping. Because there's usually more tendency to be negative because of the hard wire. Does this make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad that makes sense. Um, so, um, and I'll read that research too. According to Paul Gilbert, who created Compassion Focused Therapy, um, when we criticize ourselves, we're tapping into the body's threat defense system, our reptilian brain. This system evolves so that when we perceive a threat, our amygdala gets triggered and we release cortisol and adrenaline and get ready for fight, flight, or freeze. The system works uh, great for protecting against threats to our bodily selves, but nowadays most threats are to our self-concept, our sense of self. When we feel inadequate, our self-concept is threatened, so we attack the problem ourselves. So going, the, the threat response causes stress and is related to conditions like anxiety and depression. So going back to my friend's story about hiring the big-time therapist, right? The therapist pointed to what is vulnerable and the central nervous system and brain perceived it as a threat, right? And those chemicals got released that told her, fight, punch them out, run, or freeze. Very much like the hindrances that the Buddha talked about, right? Threat, the gremlins are out. That's the dilemma, right? That's the dilemma. And that's why it's not our fault. It's nobody's fault that, that these, it's a human condition. It's the brain and central nervous system, the hard wiring, evolution. It's the way it was designed. So what do we do? Right? What do we do? How do we get out of this? So how we get out of it is that in the same way, this is Elisha Goldstein, in the same way that we trained ourselves to walk and talk, 
we can train our brains to respond automatically to difficult emotions with a 180-degree shift of self-compassion. We've got to do a little mind training. It takes mindfulness to see the pattern, right? And then a training in how to unpack that, right? Not with a fist, like, okay, now I'm going to muscle self-compassion. Because <laughs> that's where my brain went, you know. <laughs> I'm going to shift this. No, with, with, right, with, <laughs> right, with, with ease, with kindness, with gentleness. That we can change the tendencies of our brain if we are awake enough. And if we understand the Dharma, actually all of Buddhism is about that. All of Buddhism is about that. That's what I love about Buddhism. What I love about Buddhism is when I was in the ashram, um, we, we did these dramatic things. I, I do have to say, we did these dramatic things. We, we stayed up night and day chanting and meditating and we worked. Um, a lot of us gave up our careers, our identity. We went to India for six months or yet. Not me necessarily, but all my friends. And uh, we gave our lives to the guru, and we took on Indian names. And I remember one friend saying, I used to be a clinical psychologist, and now I am just Mala. You know, like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, you can do all these big, grandiose gestures, right? But if you're not in the nitty-gritty, it's called the spiritual bypass. <laughs> and the Buddha doesn't allow you to do that. If you really read the Dharma, he's brilliant. Right? There's no bypassing. You're going to be able to notice the nitty-gritty as it arises. Actually, um, it came up for me this morning. It, and I love when a talk lands in experience mm -hmm. and you live it. And it's like, oh, okay, then maybe this is authentic. You know, but... So this morning, um, I was, I had to figure out the talk a little more, and then I had agreed to go to an early morning sit of friends. Um, years ago, we started a sit at like 8 in the morning, a women's group, um, I would say almost 10 years ago. One of our friends had cancer, and we decided to sit with her through her healing, and that group never left. Mm -hmm. About 10 years ago, every Sunday morning at 8, they sit. And so I, once a year, I try to come back a couple of times a year to sit with them around the new year. So I, we have food and we do things. So I was gathering that together, gathering the talk, trying to get into a shower and get enough coffee in there. And, you know, it was early in the morning and um, I was busy all day yesterday and I heard that critic driving me. Right, come on, faster, why don't you have your clothes? You didn't memorize that talk, are you gonna say the research, Ugh. you know, just really get that thing, get that thing, get that thing out of, you know, it was like, right? And I thought, oh, this is it, it's here, right? It's here, instead of being kind, like, oh, you're multi, there's a lot to do this morning. <laughs> right? There it was, there it was, just like that. Just like that. And that's how Krishna, the mindfulness, and the mindfulness is present. You go, ah! And be kind about it. We're going to break this pattern. So when I was in the ashram, um, my friend told this beautiful story of, of the guru. 
a, a guru moment, and I'll, I'll tell it to you, and then we'll wrap up on this. She, um, she was getting her MBA, and she, she just wanted to muscle Manhattan. She just wanted to go in there and get some high-powered job, and suiting up and gearing up, and we were in the ashram together, and you get a job there. I have done a lot of sweeping and vacuuming, and so when people say to me, I want to teach meditation, I always think, have you swept and vacuumed? <laughs> That's how I stop here, you know, you clean a lot. And um, she got, I got the sweeping and vacuuming and the toilet, she got daycare, go watch the kids. She hates kids. <laughs> <laughs> Last place she wanted to be, she was miserable. We were on retreat for two weeks in the summer. Every day she'd go to daycare going, oh, for God's sake. Yeah, right. And the teacher would walk through and say hi to you and you know, check in, and, and, and she'd do that regularly. And the first couple of days, my friend was just standing there you know, going, Get off the plate, get off the sweep, you over there, you know, like really not engaging much, waiting for the time to go. And um, there was a little girl there who was just awkward. You know, that one that trips and falls or says the wrong thing or cries, doesn't get picked for a game, is that the owie? Little girl Chloe is just always in tears. And um, despite herself, Chloe started to grow on her, you know. And, um, she began to find herself letting Chloe sit on her lap, comfort her, um, checking in on Chloe, giving her positive reinforcement, giving Chloe a hug. And um, one day, as usual, Chloe was on the playground equipment. It was kind of awkward, fell and banged up her knee. The knee was bleeding. And the next thing you know, Chloe was in my friend's arms and she's cuddling and comforting her. And at that moment, our guru, the teacher, walked into the daycare and was watching this from afar. And the scene was over and she walked over to my friend and she said, you see what you just did for Chloe? Now I need you to learn how to do that for yourself. Mm -hmm. Right? That's how a guru works, right? That's why we love to be there. Just catch that moment. So how do we do it for ourselves? How do we do it in, in mindfulness practice? Um, how we do it is, one is that we know that we're suffering when suffering is happening in the moment, right? Hopefully we're awake enough to even, to even know it, to even feel it, right? You know there's a difficulty. I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't even know there's a difficulty. All the muscles in my body have tensed. <laughs> my neck is like, right? Maybe I'm gritting my teeth, <laughs> but sometimes you don't always know it. With mindfulness, we land on it, right? And then, um, that's hard enough. It's a big deal. And then the second piece to this, um, we're talking about practicing self-compassion, is that we realize what we've been saying here, that this is a human problem. It's not just me and mine. It's not my failing or my frailty, right? It's not me alone. We tend to isolate around shame or not doing well. Oh, it's me. I'm the only one, right? We don't notice that this is everybody is suffering like this. 
it's human, right? You drop your sense of self there. And lastly, um, you care about this suffering. You practice a form of kindness. And when we take care, whether it's through touch, a soothing tone, repeating a phrase, right? Um, through self-compassion practice, you're changing your brain from adrenaline and cortisol to, somebody's got to say it for me because I always say oxy. <laughs> you know what I say, oxycontin. <laughs> I knew I was going to do it at like 5 in the morning. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So, you too. Okay, and that's a practice. That's a practice. Um, and I bring that up because partly I'm doing a little advertising of the self-compassion class. Because many of us, like me, I'm teaching it, and I've taken it, and I've taken it many times. Because um, it's not enough to visit the penthouse. I visited the penthouse. It's a great view. Uh, I, I, you know, a brain, body, anybody can. You sit long enough and go on meditation retreats, you will still the mind and open the heart. But I also know that the real day-to-day -day skill is digging the dirt of the foundation, of getting into the basement of the psyche, moment by moment, awakening to the hindrances, to these tendencies, to these egoic states, the things that get in the way. And with that, I need that compassion practice ongoing. And I find it's easier to practice in a group. And that's what that class is like. And we'll talk, I'll talk about that a little bit more. But I wanted to tell you that with intention, that I have set that intention to try to practice in this community this very basic grounding skill. So, um, so yes, the good news is uh, in, in Buddhism and in mindfulness practice, we have a path to uproot what gets in the way of the heart, what gets in the way of the way, what gets in the way of being and presence and joy and richness and sweetness. There's a path, right? And it begins with right here, right, right here, this turning in right here. And as we practice that mindfully, skillfully, then that love turns out there. The compassion can go here, and then it goes out there, right? Um, a lot of us have so much trouble with self-compassion. We're good at being compassionate and giver to others. Lots of great helpers in this room. Lots of wonderful, who's a caregiver? You know, a lot of us, right, we're great at giving it to others, but we need to give it to ourselves as well. So, taking a moment, close your eyes. <clears throat> and 
and seeing, just feeling into the body and noticing where you are in relationship to kindness to yourself this morning. Take a moment to visualize someone or something that you love, love dearly. A child, a loved one, a spiritual figure, a pet, something in nature. And if you can visualize this in your mind's eye, send a wave of love. Even say a phrase. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be healthy. May you be at ease. Sending that love from the heart, that caring. I care about your suffering. And now, taking that love and that caring space and turning it back towards yourself. May you and I be peaceful. May you and I be happy. May you and I be at peace. May we both be free of suffering. May we have ease. And taking it in a little deeper, and some of you may even want to put your hand on your heart. Really taking it into the bones. Deep inside, may I be at ease. May I be peaceful. May I be happy. May I be at ease. My suffering counts. May I be kind to myself in the face of suffering. May I be free of suffering. Just listen to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.